Hello, everyone. My name is Anne Thayer, and I'm a senior correspondent with CNN and moderator of today's webinar. Thank you for joining us for today's webcast. Through CNN webinars, we hope to deliver critical information to select audiences in a timely and interactive manner. Although the format may vary, all webinars share a few things in common. First, each webinar comes to you through funding by a sponsor. CNN works with sponsors to identify topics of interest and value to CNN's audience and consistent with CNN's mission. In all cases, a webinar topic would be one that CNN would cover or is already covering in its news gathering operations. Second, each webinar will be archived at CNN Online and at the sponsor's website after the live webcast. This way, those who could not join today can access the information and discussion at a later time. Each webinar's success also depends upon your participation. Please feel free to ask questions at any time during the presentation through the Q&A box on your screen. The questions will be answered at the end of the presentation, and as your moderator, I'll be posing as many as time permits. You can adjust the size of the slides by grabbing the lower right corner. If you need technical assistance, please look at the Help tab at the bottom of the screen or type your query into the Q&A box. If you're disconnected during the webcast, please log in again according to the instructions you received earlier. And lastly, CNN does not endorse any company, products, or services that may be mentioned in the webinars. Having said that, I'm delighted to welcome you to today's webinar, which is being sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific Incorporated, a leading supplier of analytical instruments, laboratory equipment, software, services, consumables, and reagents. With revenues of $13 billion, Thermo Fisher Scientific has approximately 39,000 employees and serves customers within pharmaceutical and biotech companies, hospitals and clinical diagnostic labs, universities, research institutions, and government agencies, as well as in environmental and process control industries. Its products and services help customers address analytical challenges, improve patient diagnostics, and increase laboratory productivity. Giving the presentation today is Massimo Santoro, Marketing Manager, Gas Chromatography and Sample Solutions at Thermo Fisher Scientific. He received his master's degree in chemistry at the University of Pavia in Italy and has since continued his work in chromatography and mass spectrometry in a wide breadth of countries. And he spent most of his career in the instrumentation research, design, and manufacturing business where his job has kept him on top of developments in chromatography and mass spectrometry and in particular, a unique perspective on sample analysis within gas chromatography. And now I'd like to turn things over to Massimo. Thanks, Anne, and hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for this informative webinar on how to optimize gas chromatography analysis and uh, its sample introduction. This is the agenda of today's webinar, which should last around 40, 45 minutes. We will start evaluating the various aspects one should take into consideration when choosing the best GC injection mode. Then we will focus ourselves on its space and its theory first, going then to an overview of the various type of automated space instruments that are available today. We will then review the capabilities offered by a couple of these injection techniques before going to the conclusion of this webinar. 
As we can see on the current slide, in GC we can deal with samples that are in the liquid, gas, or solid phase. And uh, for each of them, we can choose among multiple introduction techniques, considering the various aspects like the volatility of the target analytes, their concentration, the matrix effect, and for example, the degree of automation needed or the amount of sample preparation that one is willing to carry on. So if we start considering samples that are already in the gas phase that are on the right-hand side of this, uh, of this slide, most likely the target analytes in those samples are pretty volatile. And so here they are color-coded in this light blue color. For them, we could use gas sampling valves or thermal desorption. And thermal desorption is a two-step process that is rather similar to the operation of a porogen trap concentrator or a dynamic at space that we will discuss later on in this presentation. Uh, in thermal desorption, the analytes are normally trapped into uh, sampling tubes, and these tubes um, are at some point heated, and so the volatiles, but even semi-volatiles analytes and compounds are released and uh, uh, carried by inert gas um, that is flowing through the, uh, through the tube to a packed and uh, often cold and uh, um, focusing trap, which is then retaining these analytes. The transfer of these analytes to the uh, trap can be achieved in split or splitless mode, and the focusing of the, on the trap is uh, an excellent way of uh, then uh, transferring them to the GC in a very concentrated uh, vapor, in the smallest vapor, um, concentrated vapor possible. In the second step of the process, indeed, the, the carrier gas is flowing um, in a reverse mode, in a reverse fashion, through the focusing trap, and the trap is at the same time heated. So in this way, the analytes are uh, dissolved and transferred to the GC or the GCMS, again, in split or splitless mode. Um, the optional uh, outlet split flow provides an opportunity, for example, for splitting the flows uh, into you know, a GCMS pretty much in a similar way to what we do in a split-splitless injector. And uh, also moderate the instrumentation allows for recollecting the splitted sample on a new tube to repeat the analysis. If we now move to solid samples, there are, several, there are several ways of making them amenable to GC analysis, like using, again, TD or headspace, which can be either static or dynamic, and so uh, we can refer to it also as Purgent Trap. Or we can also use SPIMI or DIP and DEP probes. We will discuss headspace in this webinar um, quite in detail. So let me just spend here a few words on DIP and DEP, which are probably, you know, a little bit less uh, common as introduction techniques. They are both using probes to uh, introduce the sample directly into a mass spectrometer ion source and to obtain the mass spectrum of, the com uh, of com some compounds that typically are not analyzed by GCMS. In particular, the DIP, direct insertion probe, provides a slower volatilization with an heated capillary tube for solid sample, while normally the direct exposure probe, or DEP, uses a rapid heating filament for liquid and solutions. These techniques will completely bypass the GC and allow us to obtain the mass spectra of substances that normally are not amenable for GC um, injection techniques. Uh, these techniques can be used to reduce or even eliminate complex, costly sample preparation steps and uh, you know, are very, very useful when uh, the sample amount are limited, like, for example, as a result of an organic synthesis. If we then uh, we turn our attention to the liquid samples. Uh, they can be injected 
and uh, uh, as liquids, of course, or using headspace, or uh, again, porgen trap, if it's not mentioned in the slide, can be used, or we can use PIMI, and again, DIP and DEP. Going to slide um, uh, number five, in the following, we'll spend some time on Headspace. Headspace is a solvent-free automated sample preparation technique uh, that is ideal for GC, and, and for this reason, is rather diffused in many, many laboratories. Uh, the user, the chemist, will place a solid or liquid sample in a glass vial. Then it will close the vial uh, hermetically, and so the sample um, at this point will be... Um, all the other operations on the samples will be carried out by the autosamplers, by the instruments. So the user interaction is very, very minimal. The sample will be heated to facilitate the formation of the gas phase, uh, which is indeed the so-called headspace. And just a small amount of the headspace is, is then injected into the gas chromatograph injector. The concept of headspace is exactly that is based on, a, on a, an equilibrium of the concentration of the volatile between the uh, condensed, so solid or liquid phase, and the concentration of um, the same analytes in the gas phase, so into the headspace. Um, the volatile concentration in the gas phase will be proportional to the volatile concentration in the liquid phase. But why are people using headspace? One reason is exactly the one I just mentioned, because it's based on an equilibrium, is an equilibrium technique, so that the injection of even just a small amount of gas is representative of the solid or of the concentration of the analytes in the solid or liquid original sample. Headspace is applicable to any liquid or solid sample that can fit into the, the, the glass jar, into the glass container, and to any volatile species. And it's often used because it's not adding extra peaks to the chromatron since the user is normally not adding any solvent, and so also the contaminants of the solvent um, that might be present will not be uh, shown into the final chromatron we will, uh, we will get. And, uh, and also the sample matrix is left behind so that we are sure that using that space, the non-volatized components and uh, part of our matrix will not be present in the chromatron we will uh, record. Headspace is, uh, uh, is also very simple, as I just mentioned, for, for the chemist, for the user, and can be nowadays very uh, much automated with the user of modern instrumentation. And uh, this, this instrumentation nowadays is providing excellent data quality. These instruments are normally very, very robust, uh, so to maximize the uptime of any laboratory. Using at space, the user will avoid any extraction, for example, any liquid-liquid extraction, so you will save time, and you will keep the GC system, including the injector, including the column, and including even the detector, normally very, very clean. These are all other reasons why, why uh, headspace is so common. While the use of headspace is very simple, we really can't say the same about the theory of headspace. The sample vial is held for a fixed period of uh, period of time at a fixed temperature so to bring the gas phase and the liquid or solid phase um, and the concentration of the analytes into those phases uh, to an equilibrium. The concentration of the gas phase that here I'm uh, um, indicating as CG and the concentration in the liquid or solid phase which I'm indicating with a CL in the current slide 
the concentration in these two phases, I was saying, are determined by this distribution coefficient, uh, which we normally refer to as a K, according to the ratio between CL and CG, as we see in, the phase, in, in this slide. K depends very much on the components that are present in the sample, their concentration, and their vapor pressure. So many, many parameters are um, driven by the chemistry of the analytes that are present in the uh, solid sample or liquid sample. Uh, the sample matrix effect is also affecting the, um, the equilibrium coefficient. The temperature that we are using and the amount of sample that we are putting to the vial, or better to say the phase ratio uh, between the volume of the gas and the volume of the liquid or solid, will be affecting the, the results of, uh, of the headspace by affecting again the partition equilibrium coefficient K. In a situation where the partition coefficient K uh, for an analyte is large, like we see in these uh, schematics on the left-hand side, the analyte is very much soluble in the matrix. As you see, there are very, very uh, few uh, dots in the gas phase, and in this way, I want to uh, give the, 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 the impression that, uh, you know, the concentration in the gas phase for this analyte is uh, very minimal. This is certainly advantageous in a situation where the concentration of the vapor state uh, would be normally too great for quantitative space, for example, because the, the sample is uh, very concentrated. And for this concentrated sample, uh, my suggestion would be to dilute the matrix in a solvent where the analytes remain very much miscible, and, and so this will suppress their entry into the gas phase. But conversely, and most likely we want to be in, that fa in, in, in this second case, uh, when the partition coefficient K is small, most of the analytes will enter the, vapors, the vapor state, like we, like we can see on the right-hand side. Either the analytes are not miscible in the solvent or the temperature is high enough so that the solubility is not as much of a factor um, like we will see in the next few slides, for example, for methanol in water. Um, the headspace heating temperature is normally the first parameter you will set in an headspace method. Remember that we want to work at an equilibrium and usually to enrich the gas phase as much as possible. Well, increasing temperature is usually the easiest way to achieve these conditions, but there are also two important considerations to, to make on, on the temperature effect. The influence of temperature is an analyte-specific function, so if you are analyzing a mixture, it's not a given that increasing the temperature will always place you in a better uh, situation for all the analytes in your matrix. And also it's important to remember that we don't want, we cannot go above uh, the solvent boiling point. For example, if you're analyzing water, you will never heat your water sample um, with the goal of doing it space. You will never heat it above 100 Celsius. Otherwise, you will just analyze water vapor. To evaluate the impact of temperature variation on the partition coefficient, we can look uh, at the analytes on this table. Um, on, on slide 10. As we can see, increasing the headspace equilibrium temperature reduces decay and so moves the equilibrium more to the gas phase. But this is more valid. This is especially true for polar compounds, like, for example, the alcohols that we see in this slide. If you look at ethanols, decay is going from 1,200 to 240. So certainly we are moving the equilibrium more to the gas phase by going from 50 to 80 Celsius. 
and this is a water sample analysis. While this is less true, there is less of an impact of temperature for non-polar compounds. If you look at toluene or trichloroethylene, basically their K is so small already that even at 80 degrees, uh, we, we don't change, uh, we don't impact the K too much. After temperature, uh, time is the second parameter in any headspace method. Since we want to work at an equilibrium condition, it's important to establish which is uh, the minimum time that is needed to reach an equilibrium and go beyond it. After that, either we are wasting time, and you know, maybe this is not a big issue for some laboratories. As you, as you can see on slide 11, there is a plateau where we are working at equilibrium no matter what the time uh, of the uh, thermostating phase is, but after some time, there is also the risk of a degradation of the equilibrium, and certainly we don't want to be to be there. For validating any space method, normally you would uh, first optimize the temperature and then the time, so running, for example, at 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, one hour, whatever, and then you might see a degradation of the equilibrium. You don't want to be there. You want to, to choose for your final method the shortest possible equilibrium, the short possible time that is providing you with an equilibrium into the headspace formation. If we go to slide 12, uh, we can see what is the, uh, the effect, the influence of vial shaking on uh, the partition coefficient K. Well, shaking the vial during their incubation time is a very, uh, it's a very easy and elegant way of speeding up the time needed uh, to, to reach equilibrium. Especially with some solid samples, shaking the vials also allows the less volatile species to move into the gas phase, simply because we are moving the, the solid sample uh, that is on the top layer of, uh, of, of the solid amount placed into the vial. Think about a solid uh, soil sample. Shaking the solid will allow the analytes to move from the lower um, levels into the vial more easily to the gas phase. Uh, on slide 13, we can see that sometimes even adding something uh, like a, uh, a salt or like a liquid into the vial together with the sample is another excellent way of uh, uh, affecting the partition coefficient and so most likely to increase the sensitivity of an analysis. We can add inorganic salts or we can even add you know, uh, liquids like water or other polar solvents in non-aqueous solutions. Both of these um, uh, activities will have the effect of decreasing K, so again, moving the headspace more to the gas phase, so that the, the compounds um, will most likely provide a higher sensitivity. We can see on these tables that adding uh, uh, sodium chloride uh, to a sample of water where we are looking for ethanol is um, doubling the area um, while uh, adding, adding potassium carbonate, for example, is multiplying the area that we are getting by a factor of eight. So it's a very, very easy step that is providing a, a quite a change in the sensitivity of the analysis. And for the same reason, if we add styrene into a DMF solution, um, sorry, if we add water into a DMF solution where we are looking for styrene as target analyte, we can see that adding different amounts of water will increase the relative area by uh, quite a, a big number. 
to demonstrate the salt effect, we can also have a look at the data on uh, uh, water analysis that I'm showing on slide 14. The height of this peak and so the sensitivity obtained is increased just because some salt has been added to the water sample. But we have also to, to, to carefully um, uh, use the salt addition effect. We have to remember that salty, the salting out effect is uh, most likely useful for polar compounds and only when, the, when some high salt concentrations are used. And also the salt purity is important since some volatiles can be, um, in a sense, brought into the headspace from the salt that we are adding uh, to the vials before closing it. So salt purity is very, very important. Um, as a suggestion, for example, normally people would heat the salt for you know, a number of hours, uh, well above 100 uh, Celsius degrees before putting it into the headspace vials. And also, and also the additions um, of uh, salt are affecting the phase ratio, and so this should also be considered um, in, your, in your evaluation. So to close, in a sense, I could say that if you want to use the salt effect, you should investigate all its effects carefully, not just you know, putting two or five nanograms, uh, sorry, two or five grams of salt into the vial and be done with it. Finally, the last parameter uh, we discuss here is the phase ratio. Um, the phase ratio is, uh, uh, you know, it's, we refer to phase ratio as the ratio between the volume of gas and the volume of liquid or solid sample into the vials. So basically, you are sure that you are working always with the same phase ratio once you carefully measure the amount of sample you place into the vial before closing the vial. If K is low, small changes in the sample volume can greatly affect the reproducibility of an headspace analysis. While, um, you know, when K is high and is much, much higher than uh, the, the phase ratio, um, the sample volume has not much of an effect. As we can see on slide 16, these are the most commonly used headspace techniques and instrumentation. This is way for you of investigating if headspace is suitable for your analysis is simply um, achievable by putting your sample into a glass gyre and then closing this gyre into an oven and heating for a certain uh, time at a certain temperature this, this gyre this jar. and then by means of a gas tight syringe you can inject a small amount of the gas phase into your GC or GCMS. This is in a sense what is done um, also in uh, in, uh, in modern instrumentation but certainly in a much more reproducible way by the uh, so-called syringe-based static headspace. This instrument uses a heated and gas tight syringe to sample the headspace vapor and then to eject it into the uh, GC injector. Other types uh, of headspace instrumentations are instead adding uh, at the end of the heating phase uh, um, a fixed amount of an inert gas uh, into the headspace vial before the sampling of headspace. And then the transfer of, the transfer of headspace um, of the headspace quantity can be done using either a six-port valve or can be done on different instrumentation using a time-based approach. Different and usually uh, higher sensitivity is instead achieved using dynamic headspace or purgent trap instruments. In these instruments, we can say that almost all the headspace volume is transferred to a, stra to a cold trap, which is normally also packed with uh, some sorbent material. 
uh, in a very similar way to the thermal desorption I was describing a few minutes ago. At some point, the trap will be heated and the analytes will be thermally released and transferred by means of carrier gas to an analytical column. On slide 17, we have an overview of the most common headspace applications, and we have headspace application in pretty much any uh, application area, like in forensic for the alcohol determination, in pharma for uh, the organic volatile impurities in pharma products and packaging. Uh, we have environmental applications for looking at the volatile species into uh, water uh, and soil sample. We have a number of food applications, energy application, TOGA is the most classical one. And then we finally can use that space for the, it says the fastest growing applications, which are those where we are uh, dealing with polymers to look for residual solvents and residual uh, monomers. Thermoscientific um, has two solutions for automating headspace analysis. One is using the most common valve and loop technology, where an instrument that is dedicated to a headspace is used for high throughput determination, uh, while the other system is a robotic solution which uses a gas-tight syringe for headspace uh, analysis, but can also automate together with headspace, uh, for example, liquid and spim injections in the same sequence, and can also perform sun sample and start and, uh, standard preparation procedures. The uh, so-called Triplus 300 space is a static space autosample that is using a valve and loop technology and is offering an enhanced throughput thanks to its uh, uh, 120 vial positions and 18 vial positions for heating multiple vials at the same time. It also offers everything that is needed for the uh, utmost data integrity and maximizes the flexibility and you know, for example, at the end of a sequence, allows you to save gas and power during the standby uh, conditions. If we go a little bit more in details, for example, if you're, uh, you know, running short GC analysis time and uh, you also have longer headspace thermostatic times, uh, certainly this will allow you to get the most out of, uh, you know, this modern uh, valve and loop headspace system uh, thanks to the high throughput capabilities. For example, here we are using the Triplus 300 space for the EN14110 uh, methanol for the determination of uh, um, uh, methanol in biodiesel. And, um, uh, you know, according to this method, we have a vial equilibration time of 45 minutes while uh, we are running the GC at 50 degrees in isothermal every two minutes. So basically every two minutes you can have one chromatrum. Well, these are the uh, running in these conditions we are showing on the right-hand side of this uh, slide that we can have up to 13 vials being heated at the same time into the headspace uh, oven to reach their uh, equilibrium. And so uh, once the, the GC run is over, the autosample is immediately ready to inject the following samples. So again, to increase um, the, um, the number of samples that are run in the same amount of time. And uh, also the instrument will optimize all the timing, again, to maximize its productivity. Looking at the reproducibility of this modern uh, headspace instrumentation, we have been testing uh, water samples looking for the BTEX at 10 ppm using an FID detector. And here I'm reporting, just as an example, the area RST, which is around 0.5%, 0.6%, uh, 
as well as the retention time standard deviation, which is always in the range of one or two thousandths of a minute. So uh, this system is showing an excellent um, retention time reproducibility. And because of the fact that he's using, you know, the very well-known and characterized valve and loop technology, even moving uh, a, an existing headspace method from your existing instrument to, to the new Plus, uh 300 at space is, in a sense, just like doing a, a cut and, and paste in, in, in a document, for example. Now we can take a look at how a, a valve and loop at space system is working. Their you know, functionalities are very, very similar to each other. Here I'm, of course, showing the diagram of the Treplus 300 at space, but again, whatever your at space uh, instrument is, if it's using a valve and loop technology, you will find a lot of similarities. So, uh, as we have seen from you know a theory standpoint, the first step is certainly about heating the vial. And so, in this moment, the vial is being heated at constant temperature for a fixed amount of time. Um, maybe the vial is being is being shaking, and the GC is running. Uh, for example, acquiring the previous sample chromatogram. In this moment, there is no interaction between the vial and the GC at all. Once the equilibrium has been reached, for example, after 20, 30 minutes, the vial septum is, um, is pierced. In this case, we have uh, the vial that is being lifted. In some other cases, there is a needle that is going down to, to pierce the septum of the vial, but the scope is to add some gas, some auxiliary gas, uh, into the vial, again, with the ultimate goal of ensuring the highest uh, reproducibility of the analysis. We are using uh, <clears throat> an EPC-controlled auxiliary gas flow of uh, nitrogen or uh, um, helium, while the carrier gas that is coming from the GC uh, and then going back to the GC column through a transfer line, the carrier gas, I was saying, does not have any uh, interaction with the auxiliary gas flow. They are both controlled by EPC, but the auxiliary gas EPC is on board of the headspace unit. So the GC is still independent. After the pressurization is over, the auxiliary gas line in the system is basically closed, and so the headspace overpressure is uh, let to leave the vial, and so the headspace unit going out of uh, the valve that here I am showing and calling as uh, EV3 valve. Uh, and by going to the valve, uh, the sample is passing through the loop, and so the, the, the loop is now filled with our sample. The Treplus 300 offers as a standard possibility of monitoring the pressure decay and so also alerting the user if there is a vial leak. Of course, this event should be avoided. So having a leak is certainly something that we don't want, but you know, in a sense, to have good quality, uh, good data quality. But if for any reason there is a leak, the system can be optionally halted or uh, as to a sequence stopped, or can uh, the system can just put a flag near your chromatogram, just alerting you that there was a leak, and so you should really rerun uh, that sample. The following phase uh, is now the injection of the loop. In the previous phase, in the previous slide, we've seen that the loop was filled with a headspace sample. Now the six-port valve, which is at the center of this diagram here, is, uh, is rotated. And so now the carrier gas that is coming from the GC is flushing the loop. And so it's pushing, in a sense, its uh, content to the analytical column, again, through the transfer line. This is now the beginning of our GC or GCMS analysis, and, uh, and so the chromatogram uh, will will start to be acquired. This injection phase can normally last, you know, in anywhere between a few seconds, like 
three, four, five seconds, up to 15, 20, 30 seconds maximum, I would say, if you're uh, running using whiteboard columns. And uh, as you can see also here in this slide, in this moment, again, there is no interaction between the sample vial and the GC analytical system. Uh, the, the gas that is still in the vial is not um, allowed in any way to come in contact with the sample loop and the carrier gas. Going to slide 25, we can also see that during uh, the optional venting phase, the system will remain in the same co hardware configuration as for the injection, and so the extra headspace vial pressure is allowed to vent, if any, of course. After the vial vent, we have uh, a uh, purge phase, which is lasting for one minute, and so it's using 100 milliliter of auxiliary gas, which is, again, nitrogen or, or, or helium, and certainly nitrogen is uh, the <laughs> most likely recommended gas. And um, this amount of gas is used to flush the headspace system, thus avoiding, together with the temperature of the sample path, any uh, memory effect, any carryover. And the user can extend this phase if, if needed for any reason. As I just mentioned, the entire sample path of the Treplus 300 space is heated and can be heated up to 300 Celsius, starting from 30 Celsius degrees, so that the Treplus 300 is gentle with labile compounds like in food analysis or biological samples or forensic samples, but can also be used you know, for the modern high-temperature headspace analysis in the, in the polymer industry. As we can see, for example, in these chromatograms uh, of a flexible packaging sample, increasing the temperature um, in, and, um, that we can see in the lower chromatogram, we will get certainly few more peaks. For example, uh, these peaks will certainly deliver additional information to the user, that, uh, information that are uh, additional to those that you will normally get with any other space just applying the EN methodology. Also important to remember in your headspace that the sample path has to be inert, uh, so, not, so not to lose any, any peak, in a sense, any analyte in its journey from the vial to the analytical column and then to the detector. In the Treplus 300 space, the, the sample path is chemically inert, and so this, uh, again, extends the applicability of, of such an instrumentation. Uh, Triple 300 can also be connected to any GC or GCMS, and this is uh, a factor that is making its use uh, more effective because of the flexibility advantage. The control of this instrument is provided by the drivers that are now available for a number of uh, uh, chromatography data systems, including Chromelion 6.8 and 7.1 and uh, 7.2 just launched, as well as the agents OpenLab and, uh, and EasyChrome drivers. For other systems, or you know, when simply you're moving the space from one GC to, a, to another or to a GCMS, it's very, very convenient using uh, the, the local touchscreen, the color touchscreen that is uh, here shown on the right-hand side, on the lower right-hand side of this slide. And uh, by using the touchscreen, uh, you can build, store, and run any kind of method and sequence with, with this headspace. 
the use of triplus 300 space is, um, you know, the, its ease of use is certainly maximized when it's connected to the instant connect modules of the Trace uh, uh, 1300 series Kaskromatrov. As you may know, our GCs are now featuring user installable injector and detectors modules, so that you know any user in in a few seconds can tailor the instrument configuration to the specific analysis that he or she wants to run. The benefit now coupling this GC together with the headspace is that everyone can move the headspace from one GC to another without any hardware intervention on the GC pneumatics. What are the benefits of this? Well, you know, for example, to quickly and immediately characterize any extra peak you may see on your conventional detectors like an FID or an ECD and uh, understand what these peaks are with, with MS spec. So moving from one GC to a GCMS, uh, run a few samples just you know to have this qualitative information, and then going back to your routine. Moving your headspace now it's it's an operation that will take a few minutes, and uh, you don't need a service engineer uh, to get these additional informations. Triplus 300 space can also use any kind of virus and any SEPTA that you might already use. And, uh, you know, this is not a minor factor. We have uh, already seen the effect of the sample vial and, um, excuse me, of the sample and the vial volume or, you know, what we were referring to as the phase ratio. And we know that, you know, it says, quote to quote, just changing the vial type or the vial volume can mean revalidating an existing method. So with this system, you can use 10, 20, and 22 ml vials with any kind of caps and, uh, and septum as well. And Triplus 300 also allows the use of uh, uh, the user to save some gas and power when the system is, is idle, especially you, since you can run pretty long sequences that maybe will last um, overnight or during the weekend. Uh, with its sample capacity, the 300, uh, Triplus 300 also allows the user to shut down or reduce the gases and uh, to enable screen savers 10 minutes after the end of a sequence. It's also important nowadays to uh, restate that hydrogen can be used as carrier gas since uh, uh, it, it's delivered by, by the gas chromatograph, so you can run headspace using carrier gas, uh, hydrogen as carrier gas. Let's now quickly see some applications that are run on 300 uh, headspace. This is the first, and uh, you know it's about the determination of alcohols in blood. This is you know a, an application that is very very easy in a sense. It's a very standard application. What I'm showing is the typical chromatogram that you will get, uh, showing perfect you know baseline separation of the target analytes together with the linearity. Especially for these applications. Um, Optional barcode capability offered by the system can be extremely important for uh, ensuring data traceability. Moving to another application, uh, USP467 or the organic volatile impurities in pharma according to uh, the pharmacopoeias, the various pharmacopoeias. Uh, these can be run, um, of course, with the Triplus 300. And here I'm showing some reproducibility and one chromatogram. And there is a, an application not available using Chromelion with its uh, you know, audit trail and um, capabilities for a, a complete and robust uh, you know, USB 467 uh, analytical system, if you wish. Going to the following slide, this is about the determination of uh, residual solvents in flexible packaging by static at space. And this method, the EN 13628-1, uh, is requiring as a proof of a uh, robust headspace space method the user to 
show the multipolar space extraction, MHE, uh, and the experiment and the linearity has to be at least 0.98. What we are showing here is uh, a linearity that is certainly going beyond those values and so proving that even uh, for this application, the Trepas uh, 300 is a, an excellent system. Moving to an environmental application uh, with GCMS, uh, in this case, we can see the limit of quantitation uh, for a, a number uh, of, uh, of analytes. These were run in a lake water uh, sample at 0.1 ppb, um, 0.1 ppb, sorry, at the concentration of the three seams chromatograms that are shown on the uh, left-hand side. While going to slide 35, I'm showing uh, you know the, the the peak the peak shape the optimal peak shape of the most volatile sunlight. Again, of course, in C mode because of the concentrations that are needed um, um, for for a number of chlorinated components. Let's now quickly review the other typology of instrumentation that can be used for red space analysis. It's called the thermoscientific Treplus RSH platform, and not only can do head space using a gas-tight syringe, but is capable of switching in an attended fashion between liquid, head space, and spin injections during a single sequence. This capability increases the laboratory productivity and flexibility, and so the throughput. Um, this is more than uh, you know, uh, just a simple headspace autosample because with the so-called preparation cycle, you can automate uh, sample and standard preparations um, and their procedures for, for example, liquid addition, internal standard addition, sample derivatization, and so on and so forth. The health of the system is the so-called um, uh, automatic tool changing station. Basically, by using this station, the system is, in an attended fashion, capable of switching the syringe so that the user doesn't have to be present to go from one injection mode to the other or from one injection syringe to the other. For example, you could dedicate one headspace syringe to the standards or to your quality control standards and another one to the samples so avoiding any possible carryover. But, you know, we will see that another great benefit comes from the preparation cycles that I'm discussing in, in a few seconds. For these instruments, once, uh, you know, we clarified um, that it's using a syringe to extract and inject the space volume, I want to focus, you know, a few more minutes on uh, some of the other capabilities. If you remember, at the beginning, I was mentioning solid phase microextraction. That is another injection technique in GC that can be used for liquid or, or solid samples. Headspace, uh, uh, sorry, SPIMI can be run into the headspace phase or the fiber can be uh, immersed into the liquid phase. And most of the time, we want to work anyway in an equilibrium phase, especially you know, uh, if we're dealing uh, with uh, SPIMI in the headspace. Uh, the fiber is used to trap the analytes, and then the fiber will be uh, dissolved, thermally heated, and so we release these analytes into the GC injector. So, in a sense, its principle is very much similar to the uh, static space using a gas-tight syringe, but SPIMI is certainly providing much more sensitivity. Uh, after the injection, the fiber will, get, will need uh, uh, you know, a conditioning cleaning phase that can be done either in the same injector or you know, in, in another um, heating device. Uh, 
PIMI is now widely used again for, for a number of uh, different applications that are environmental applications like phenols and pesticides. So you can see that we are not only talking about volatiles but also semi-volatile species. There are a number of food and flavors applications in uh, wine, beer, and uh, beverages in general. But there are also, you know, nowadays toxicology and forensic applications for people that are looking for uh, you know, specific analytes in uh, blood or urine spume is a very elegant way of dealing with those samples in an attended and automated fashion, of course. But I was saying, uh, you know, in the previous slide that one of the differentiator, one, uh, you know, of the reasons why uh, we could think about this headspace instrument is because it's not only an headspace. For example, uh, triplacerase can be used for sequential dilution. For example, to prepare your headspace standards starting from a concentrated standard. Or you can also use the triplacerase to add an internal standard to your calibration curve and so automatically prepare a calibration, um, all the calibration points for the calibration bias plus adding automatically internal standards. Or, uh, you know, for example, um, triplacerase can add a precise amount of standard 20 vial, and this is ideal for headspace and spimi quantitation with solid samples. Or you can add an internal standard, and this is a, a very neat characteristic of this autosample uh, for headspace samples. But completely changing the topic, triplacerase can also be used to automate um, sample preparation and uh, by running sample derivatization. For example, here um, I'm showing the results of uh, a so-called biodiesel, biodiesel preparation cycles where the system is adding precise amounts of reagents into the biodiesel samples, agitating the vials following the EN or ASTM methods, and then finally injecting those samples into your GC. So the, the preparation cycle is a, a pre-built set of operations that the autosampler uh, can run to uh, automate any kind of procedure. The next example I want to show is about the use of uh, this robotic platform to automate sample derivatization in food safety. Uh, we've been using uh, a preparation cycle to perform the derivatization step of, and, and then the following injection in GCMSMS uh, for the analysis of melamine and, um, and the other, uh, you know, uh, classical products in, uh, in milk samples. The sample preparation procedure uh, was carried out um, manually in parallel to validate the results obtained by the robotic sampler and, uh, you know, We've been using GCMSMS because of the sensitivity and the specificity that are needed for this specific analysis. But really, uh, this is more of an example. The point he here is about you know the possibility of uh, a modern robotic platform to perform sample preparation, so freeing up the operator's time and avoiding you know uh, possible mistakes that can be done. We have been using for for this purpose. Uh, we have been following the U.S. FDA um, sample extraction protocol that you can read in this slide. There are no changes uh, here um, compared to that protocol. And again, this, the target samples were, you know, retail milk products that were analyzed together with some samples spiked with uh, uh, with the four target analytes. Triplacerase was used to add uh, a number of um, 
you know, solvents and then perform part of the sample derivatization. For example, it was used to add 300 microliters of a solution of acetonitrile and pyridine to the sample extract that was, you know, prepared with the procedure of the, of the previous slide. Then the vial must be vortexed for 30 seconds. Then there is an addition of uh, a, a reagent, a derivatizing agent uh, for a minute, and then there is for a minute, uh, there is a vortexing, and then there is an eating phase of uh, 45 minutes at 70 Celsius. Um, again, the point here is about using the same autosample for both headspace and sample preparation. And so here we have the, the sampler doing uh, sample prep and sample derivatization in an attended fashion. All of these becomes the first line in the sequence that I'm showing on the lower part of this slide, and all the other steps all the other um, lines of this sequence are the usual GCMSMS uh, analysis. On slide 47, I'm reporting the analysis condition of our GC uh, coupled uh, to the TSQ-8000 triple quadruple and, uh, you know, the, the, the transitions and the collision energy for those analytes. Again, there is uh, nothing specific because this is a pretty common uh, GCMSMS method. But as you can see on the following slide, um, still, on, on a pretty low concentration, which is of uh, 12 ppb, we have uh, excellent um, selectivity and so excellent sensitivity, for example, for melamine, that, that is the analyte I'm showing. The standard solutions we have been uh, working with in the concentration of uh, uh, 2.5, 5, 10, 50, and 100 ppb each with an internal standard at 50 ppb. And here I'm showing on slide 49 the linearity results, where we have uh, excellent uh, linearities, um, even if there is a derivatization procedure. Again, the point here is that this derivatization procedure is carried out in an unattended fashion by, uh, by the autosample. Finally, AAASRSH can also be mounted on two uh, adjacent GC or GCMS, and this may be the reason for you to choose one uh, Headspace Autosamper or, uh, or this, this other one. Uh, in this way, AAASRSH can inject on two different GC and GCMS uh, systems. And so, for example, you can run uh, the same Headspace sample on, completely, on, on two completely different um, detectors and two completely different um, columns as well. In a sense, in this way, the autosample is kind of cloning itself, and so expanding uh, furthermore the productivity. So, uh, concluding today's webinar, we have seen uh, the, the capabilities that are offered by the modern Headspace instrumentations. We, we had a, look, a quick look at the Trapalas 300, which is a standard static valve loop Headspace autosampler. And we have seen a few applications in the forensic, pharmaceutical, uh, food packaging, and environmental uh, arena. And we have seen excellent results for the automation and uh, of this analysis obtaining uh, very good results. And then we, we have spent a few minutes on the AAASRSH autosample, which is, of course, an space autosample, but is ideal when multiple injection modes or, uh, are required onto the same GC or when uh, you want to uh, advance the sample handling capabilities beyond uh, just the sample injection, uh, for example, to prepare calibrations or to add standard or to, to derivatize this sample. With this, I want to thank you for your time today, and uh, I will pass the line back to Anne for the Q&A session.
Thank you, Massimo, for that great presentation. And now we have some time for a few questions. Uh, first question is, can the TriPlus 300 RSH make liquid injections into the GC? Um, so the, the, uh, I guess there is a mistake here. The TriPlus 300 is the valve and loop headspace, which is a dedicated headspace instrument, so the answer would be no, while the TriPlus RSH is the autosampler that can do headspace, liquid, and spimmy, so the answer would be yes. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Would heated headspace with agitation improve recovery of the dioxane analyte? Um, so, it, it, well, uh, the, 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 the answer in general is that agitation, I would say, improves, um, can improve the, the recovery, depends what the matrix is for the specific analysis, which is an information that is missing. Certainly, uh, agitation helps speeding up the, uh, the time it takes for, to reach the equilibrium. Uh, recovery, uh, if I think about you know, some applications I've been running in the past, is uh, improved by agitation, especially if the matrix is, um, is a solid. I don't know if this is the case for this, uh, for this colleague. Can SPME be used for ethylene oxide, propylene oxide, dioxane analysis at 1 to 100 ppm? Um, well, yeah, wow. <laughs> this is very specific. I remember some application of SPME uh, that I read a while ago, uh, especially on ethylene oxide, not sure about the other, so I can check and get back to this person. Uh, the 1 to 100 ppm looks like uh, you know, a concentration that normally is uh, quite high for SPME, so I would tend to say yes, but uh, I will uh, take a note and get back to this person um, directly offline. Okay, great. With the TriPlus RSH, how many samples can be overlapped or incubated at one time to maximize throughput? Uh, with TriPlus RSH, six, because the oven has uh, six positions. Okay. And what is the analysis time for the MHE per sample? Um, so uh, the analysis time basically is uh, well. Um, the, the analysis time normally, per, I mean, by analysis time we mean uh, the time it takes for the GC to collect the chromatrum. So it depends on what you know the, the separation is. Uh, if I read, uh, you know, the, the instead the, the question is slightly different. I would say that the time it takes for the autosampler to prepare a sample for MHE is normally the equilibrium time plus um, a few seconds, 30 seconds to a minute maximum. It depends. There are uh, on, on these two instruments, there are several, I mean, a couple of ways for each of those instruments to do MHE. But, you know, as a, as a you know, general answer, I would say it's not too long, than, much longer, sorry, than the equilibrium time. Are there different types of transfer line that do not interact with amines or alcohols? Um, so the, on the TriPlus 300 at space, which is uh, the valve and loop autosample, which, which has a transfer line, uh, we offer actually one type only of, at space, of uh, transfer line, sorry, that is uh, like the entire sample path, is chemically inert, is uh, treated with uh, silicon air 2000. Um, we have um, a, a lot of data, and some uh, have been shown today, on alcohols, on amines. Uh, I, I'm not sure... Um, I have data, I can get back to this person as well, but normally silicon R2000 is, uh, is a material that is um, you know, safe enough also for amines, so I would say I would feel comfortable in using it. Okay. 
have you ever analyzed the same sample by MHE and by standard edition? Did you get the same result? MHE and standard edition. Uh, so, well, normally um, these two techniques are not really used uh, uh, in uh, comparison one to the other. Normally MHE is used in, in the first place uh, for... Uh, um, in a sense, to validate the space method, or better to say, to prove that we are working in equilibrium condition, then once this is demonstrated, people work also in the interest of time to, to produce as many data as possible in, uh, in, in the other uh, way that uh, you know, this person was asking. So a comparison between the two, I don't think um, uh, we, we did it. Yeah, it would be interesting to do so. For the HS transfer line, is deactivated fused silica or stainless steel better? Uh, sorry, could you repeat the question? Uh, for the HS transfer line, is deactivated fused silica or stainless steel better? Well, stainless steel, I, I wouldn't use it, honestly, um, unless it's treated with, with something like, in our case, Silconer 2000 again. Uh, the activated fused silica can, can work. There are other instruments that used uh, fused silica. Uh, there might be, you know, the risk, it depends what the analysis is, but there might be the risk of uh, some memory fat developing over time. Okay. Uh, is it common to use an internal standard in headspace analysis? Um, yes, I would, I would say so. Yeah, it, it really depends very much on what type of analysis. In general, uh, internal standard helps a lot to uh, not to suffer from even, uh, you know, errors that the human person can do in preparing the sample, like, you know, not measuring the proper amount of samples. I would say probably that if we were to, to talk to 100 Headspace users, probably 30 to 40 of them are using internal standard. That would be my guess. Uh, what is the TriPlus RSH feature, liquid uh, HS or HSSPME, that reaches lower detection limits for BTEX in water? Uh, lowest detection limit, I, I would say SPME, yeah. Okay. Uh, is it possible to adapt any of the TriPlus samplers to external larger sample vessels, something like 100 to 500 milliliters? Um, no, I would say, I mean, no, no, not as a routine instrumentation. I would say we, we can't do that with these instruments, yeah. Could this system run with a dual injector, uh, alternating automated liquid sampler injections with HS injections? Uh, I think this person refers to the triplus RSH. The answer would be no. Uh, if uh, we are running in that space, both uh, there was an example I was showing in one of the last slides, one of the samples installed on two GCs. So if we refer to this example, uh, on, on the two GCs we have to do headspace with the same method. If we are doing liquid, it has to be liquid on both, but the method can be different. After I run an MHE uh, experiment in headspace, how do I calculate the analytes concentration in my samples? Um, there are some formulas. Uh, for example, our uh, software, our Chromelion software is making the calculations automatically so that in the report um, I, I have the final concentration expressed in uh, PPM or percent or whatever it is. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's a mathematical formula that one can you know, set up once in Excel. And, uh, and then just use it. 
Uh, how long does it take for the entire analytical system to stabilize once I move the Triplus 300 HS from one GC to a single quadrupole GCMS? Okay, so this assumes, I guess, that we are using uh, uh, the Triplus 300 on uh, our GCs with their uh, modularity approach so that it really takes one minute to move the headspace from one GC to this GCMS. If this is true, then uh, for the headspace, it really takes the time uh, from off conditions to heat the heated zones, the valve, the oven, and the transfer line. So depending on what these temperatures are, it can take, say, anywhere from uh, you know, probably 5 to 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. It, it really depends, but not longer than that. Okay. Can the SPME fibers be permanently affected by samples, like when they're using strong solvents? Uh, I, I guess that would be that that is a possibility. There are of course possibilities to you know reduce this chance, like uh, cleaning, um, heating normally the, the, the fiber after the injection. Uh, we also have now cycles that allow the fiber to be washed with solvent between one injection and the following to really try to extend the lifetime of the of the of the fiber as much as possible. Uh, how many software steps are needed for using one of the preparation cycles of the robotic auto sampler? So to use it, um, if you know, I'm just reusing a method that I have already set up, um, as I was uh, showing in one of the slides, is one line in the sequence of my data system. So, uh, I mean, it takes probably a few seconds. Um, if instead the question is about, you know, building the method with the cycle or using, better to say, the cycle, it depends on the different cycles. There are some that are very, very uh, easy, like you have to, to make a choice if you want with, so with a yes or no choice, if you want to perform a certain operation, while there are some other that are open, like the derivatization cycle, and at that point, the first time, it can take you know, a few minutes to set up the entire method. Okay. How is easy is it to actually transfer a method from an existing headspace to the valve and loop headspace you described today? Um, I guess uh, the comparison here is between valve and loop at space or moving one uh, valve and loop method to, to this 3 plus 300 um, is pretty much like doing a copy and paste in a sense because this instrument has whole dated zones that every headspace historically has been uh, um, allowing. So there is the, the oven, the, uh, the valve area, and the transfer line. And then uh, there are the timings. So it, it's really, you know, a very quick operation, and you are up and running on this new platform very quickly. Okay. Can the headspace instruments use hydrogen as a carrier gas? Um, our instruments, they both can. Uh, I wouldn't say this is true generally, so there are some instruments where the use of hydrogen is not allowed. For our, for both of them, it is. My suggestion would be to use a hydrogen sensor uh, for, for the GC, and we offer that possibility on, on our GCs as well. Well, uh, thank you very much, Massimo, for answering so many questions. I'm afraid that's all the time we have. I also want to thank all the participants for being a great audience. Uh, please be sure to check CNEN or CNEN Online for information on the next edition of CNEN webinars. And thank you, On24, for technology and production services. And thank you, Thermo, Thermo Fisher Scientific, for the sponsorship that made this interactive webcast possible. For CNEN webinars, I'm Ann Thayer. Goodbye.